0: are so grateful that that you're working in little Angela's life, Angela Oyola. We pray, Lord, and continue to pray that you would bring healing to her. We thank you, Lord, for the Oyola family. They're, They're a blessing here. We thank you for Augie and Marie, for their children, and we pray, Lord, that you would continue that healing process and and bring her into a place of of just restoration. We thank you for Miss Abby, and we miss her, Lord. Many weeks she's been gone, and and we look forward to seeing her here. We pray, God, that you would touch her body, that you would give her strength to come on Easter Sunday. We do pray for our services during uh, this next week as we gather together to celebrate the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. Father, I want you to bring out people I not you put in our hearts someone to reach out to and invite. Lord, may our church, like many others in our area, may we shine for Jesus Christ. May we lift up the risen Lord next week. And may many people, men and women, boys and girls, put their faith in Jesus Christ and, and become saved. We pray these things, Lord, in, in your name. And we ask also, Lord, that you would go before Pastor Chris. And the team going to Mexico, Paula and Christopher, we pray for uh, Rico, the others, I can't remember their names. Lord, the the team that's going down, we ask God that you would give them mercy, direction, strength and vitality to minister in the name of the Lord and serve down there at Casa del Pastor and our missionary Jeannie Sue. Lord, we do pray for her tonight and her her cancerous situation that's being diagnosed even now. We ask, God, that you would work in her body. We believe you have all authority, Lord Jesus, to touch, and we ask by faith that you will do your will in your time for your glory. And tonight, as we turn now to the Word, I pray that you would speak to us, your Word, your truth, as we, Lord, look to you in worship, as we study your Word. In Jesus, we pray, amen, amen. Let's open our Bibles to chapter 18 in Exodus. We're studying this uh, portion of Scripture, the Exodus of the children of Israel from their bondage. A beautiful picture of our lives in sin, in bondage, and God's delivering his people. God reached in sovereignly and delivered his people. Moses is the spokesman, but God is working sovereignly. We've seen the miracles he's done. We've read about the plagues, those 10 plagues that finally got the people ejected really from Egypt and God's miraculous provision on the way to the promised land. But they have an important place to go, this important stop that God is leading them to. It's called Mount Sinai. They're going to go to Mount Sinai and there God is going to give his laws to them. Are you anxious about that? We're going to get to the 10 commandments and study them here on Wednesday night. But God is going to give those ten laws. So on their way to Mount Sinai, recently being freed and delivered from their sin in Egypt, they're going to go to this place, Mount Sinai, and God has brought them through a series of tests because they have to be ready to to be given the law. They're not ready. They've been living for hundreds of years in an idolatrous country, surrounded by all the gods of Egypt. Remember, the plagues were against each god of Egypt. And God has shown that He's more powerful and that He's gracious and that He has the authority in the land of Egypt. And now He's guiding the children, two million of them, as they camp through the desert with a cloud to protect them in the daytime and a night light, this pillar of fire. God is miraculously drawing them and leading them through these tests. The first one was at Mara, you'll remember, the bitter water, and God provided sweet water for them to drink. But they started to complain. Why did you bring us here, Moses? Did you bring us to die? There's no water for our livestock. There's no water for our families. God is going to teach them. So they got through the first test, and they went to the second one. That was their need for food. We don't have any food, and they started complaining. We want to go back to Egypt. We had pots of meat. We, we, We don't have any food here. And so God provides them miraculously this quail that just shows up in their camp this meat for them to eat. And then every morning, manna, sweet golden manna, tasted like honey. God was miraculously providing food for them. They complained and murmured until they got their food, but then they forgot again God's provision. So the third test they came to was the this dry well at Rephidium. That's where they are right now, by the way. They went to this place, and it's an oasis, but there's no water there. Again, they complained about water. And God sends Moses and the elders to the rock. Remember the rock? And God tells Moses, take your rod, smite the rock, and it gushes forth. It must have been more than just a little trickle like you get out of your sparklets machine at work. It must have been a gushing forth of water to feed or water two million people and all their herds, right? There had to be this big flood of water coming out of the rock. Again, God's miraculous provision. They complained about not having water then God miraculously provides them with water and finally the Amalekites the first battle they faced were the Amalekites they were coming in the back of the 2 million marching israelites as they're going through the desert and they're picking off the people at the back the amalekites and so they have this battle we looked at the battle last week and as long as Aaron and her remember her he lifted up the arms. Her, the servant of Moses, as long as they lifted up his arm as he prayed, that represented Moses praying. As long as Moses prayed, the army of Israel won. They won the battle. They were victorious there in the battle. Whenever Moses' hands came down, the, the, they had to retreat. So uh, her and Aaron held up Moses' arms. And again, it was a test. All these are tests for these people. Now, all of these things were real. They were real dangers. They were real threats to the children of Israel. They complain. They grumble. They blame Moses and Aaron for their hardships. But the important thing that we're learning is we're looking at these different tests and the children of Israel and their wanderings is that God has saved them. He's delivered them. He's miraculously redeemed his people from sin and bondage. And he wants them now to make a personal choice to choose to worship him, to choose to follow him. That's what the tests are all about. They've been for hundreds of years watching the Egyptians serve these gods and and sacrifice to the many idols. So that's what many of them know, that's all they know about God. And now they're, they're seeing their God, this is their God, they're learning who he is and what he's done. They've only been in the wilderness a few months. God's taken them through these series of tests to teach them, to trust him, to, no, don't complain to Moses, trust in me, I'll provide for you. They're learning, they're growing, slowly, slowly, it's taking such a, a long time, but God wants them to change from the inside out. He wants to change you in the same way. You put your faith in Jesus Christ, he saves you from the inside out, and so They are going to demonstrate now, slowly but surely, faith and obedience, the same faith and obedience that you practice as a Christian, same thing. You come in obedience to repent because God's word says you're a sinner, so you come to that word sin, and you look at yourself, and you finally say, I am a sinner, I do need saving, so you repent, and then you believe in Jesus Christ. Out of obedience, you believe. And you're saved. These people are learning the same thing. Faith and obedience in God alone. They need to trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. How many remember that song? Okay, half the room. But to trust and obey. I love that song. The old song we sang when I was growing up. We need to trust and obey. They had to learn the very same thing. So God is teaching them all of these things. But they keep going back to this place of, unfaithfulness. They're complaining and murmuring and whining to Moses and Aaron, why did you bring us into the desert over and over again? God is teaching them, but they continue to complain. Now, here in this chapter, chapter 18, they come uh, with Mo- This is kind of an interesting chapter because it's a parenthesis in between their journey. God is going to do something here in this chapter really interesting, and we learn some really interesting truths about the children of Israel, God brings them to a place where they're complaining to Moses. Moses has a line of people. Let's say there were 10% of the people that were complaining. What's 10% of 2 million? I mean, think about this. They got this line of people, and every one of them wants to ask Moses, complain to Moses, murmur to Moses, complain, ask Moses, there's a problem, there's a difficulty, there's, there's strife in, among the people, and they need someone to adjudicate, they need a judge, so they go to Moses. They don't go to anybody else, they don't go to Aaron, they don't go to her, they don't go to the general, Joshua, they go to Moses. So there's a big line, think of this huge line, it goes all the way down baseline for a mile. And these people are standing in line to talk to Moses, day and night and night. Night and day, they're standing there to talk to Moses. That's what this chapter is about. When all of a sudden, God sends a man that we've met. He's the prince or the priest of the Midianites. He's a Gentile. Kind of an interesting story here. It's Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, who comes now to uh, bring his family. Remember, Moses has a family. He's got two sons. He's got a wife. But he sent them away because he had to go and confront Pharaoh. So he sent his wife and children back home, and they'd been away from him for a while, maybe a year or two, maybe longer, we're not really sure. And now Jethro comes to bring his family to Moses, but Jethro notices some real issues here. He sees this long line of people. He says, son, you need some help. You know, what are you doing? And this is a wise father-in-law. And he looks at the situation and he says, you you got a problem here. You're wearing yourself out. You're wearing out all the people, too, in in what you're doing. Now, he's going to teach from this text, I believe there's two opposing truths here. Number one, we need to beware of burnout. If you're in the ministry serving the Lord in any capacity, there's always this thing called burnout. And so we see Moses is on the verge of burnout here in this chapter, and God's going to provide a solution through his father-in-law, Jethro. Number two, there are those in the church that do nothing. They don't do anything at all. They kind of don't have the problem of burnout. They they haven't even lit the candle. And so so we have, this is what we're going to see here. I've entitled this chapter, Jethro's Wise counsel. Read with me in my first point, Jethro's arrival and purpose, verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife. After he had sent her back with her two sons, of whom he named one Gershom, which meant I've been a stranger in a foreign land, and the name of the other was Eliezer, which really means the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. (laughs) Interesting name. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons, Gershom and Eliezer, and his wife, Zipporah, there, to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped. Notice where he's encamped there, at the mountain of God. Now, He said to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and your two sons with her. So first notice, the text tells us in verse one that Jethro heard, Jethro heard of all that God had done for Moses and his people. In other words, the nations surrounding Egypt and all the nations surrounding there, people are hearing about these 10 plagues. They're hearing about the fact that if the Egyptian army has been wiped out in the sea. That there's a strange light over the desert. It keeps moving around, you know, miles away. There's, they, they know something's going on. In fact, remember how Moses met Jethro? He was wandering away from Egypt, running from killing the Egyptian uh master. And he's running through the desert. And he comes, stumbles upon this. Obviously, God's leading. But he stumbles upon this man in a tent, Jethro. And this man in a tent has a bunch of daughters, remember? And these giddy women are laughing. They see Moses, and, and he ends up marrying one of them. So we know that Jethro's hospitable. He took in this man, probably trying to marry off his girls, and he's, he's doing this. He, the caravans are coming through the desert. Jethro's saying, what gives? What goes on down in Egypt? What, what's happening over there? And so he has heard that these things, these miraculous things that God is doing is happening there, and he hears his son-in-law's name, and so now he's taking his daughter, Zipporah, and their two sons, and they go back to to Moses because of all the things that Jethro has heard. Now, notice they're at Mount Sinai, the end of verse 5. They're encamped at the mountain of God. So although we're going to get there next week, We're already told that they've made it to this place, the mountain of God. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai now, and they're traveling through uh, the desert. They've made it where God's going to give them the law. But first, God is bringing Jethro and Moses' wife, Zipporah, and her two sons, just for this reuniting of the family. And I want you to notice here how gracious Jethro is, very gracious, but also he's a man of faith. I want to highlight that. The faith of Jethro is my second point here, verse seven. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law. He bowed down and he kissed him. And they asked each other about their well-being, and they went into the tent. So it's, oh, it's so good to see you, boy, you've at, look at your beard. Wow, look how gray hair you have, Jethro. You know, they're talking to one another. They're just reacquainting with one another, and then they went into the tent. The thing that jumps out at me when I read this here is even though Moses is the leader of two million people, this is a nation, he's the leader of all these people, he commands them. They do what he tells them to do. Yes, they complain and they murmur, but they're obedient. And, they con- and even though he is this leader, he's a big shot, he's very humble. Moses is known as a very meek Man, he's a very humble man, and we see that humility here as he kind of runs out. He falls down before Jethro. He 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 recognizes him as an elder. He recognizes him as as a remember Moses. He's in his eighties at this time. So who knows how old Jethro is? But but he's every time I say Jethro, I think of Bodine. I hope you don't do that. (laughs) That that's just an interesting name, isn't it, Jethro? So Jethro's older. He's an elder. And Moses is submitting to him very humbly, very graciously here. He bows down and he kisses him. He honors his father-in-law by doing that. Moses isn't proud. He doesn't elevate himself above someone else. He's just a very humble and meek man. Verse 8, and Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them on the way, And how the Lord had delivered them. So Moses fills them in with all the details. So their conversation goes long into the night. He's sharing all that God has done and and everything that that God has shown them and how God has miraculously delivered them and and led them to the desert there. Now here's one side note here. I I just want to make this application tonight. For those of you that are parents if you have little ones at home or if you want to be a parent or maybe even you have teenagers at home, notice that this family is, is actively involved in talking about God in their daily life. This is a really important point. Every Christian family should have as their main topic of discussion in their home each day and night. And You're a family if you're husband and wife, by the way. Kids just add to the family. So every husband and wife should do this. We should talk about the Lord. What's the Lord done in your life today? Look at what God's doing. I heard at church tonight that Miss Abby's doing better, and we're going to pray for her. We're talking about God and what God has done. Every family needs to have that. Parents, your children need to hear you talking about God, not about politics or some news channel. They need to hear you talking about your faith in God and how good Jesus is and how he's healed you and helped you. I know that we had as our topic of our conversation, because we're in the church, but that would be one reason. In my home, we've always talked about the Lord. And one thing that I, I'm so grateful for, my mother and father-in-law who love Jesus dearly, and they're the ones that, that when I was 13 years old and I met this, their cute little daughter, and I watched them as, as a young boy growing up, they always talked about the Lord. My mother-in-law, when she comes over to our house for Thanksgiving or Easter or all the holidays and birthdays, and we're hoping she'll be up for Easter or, uh, Sunday after church here. We have a family up to our house. She always talks about the Lord. You, you can't go five minutes without my mom saying, oh, the Lord is good. The Lord is so good to me. The Lord." It's always that way. That's my mother-in-law. I'm so grateful for that. But more than just waiting for Sunday to talk about the Lord, I want to encourage you tonight. You need to talk about the Lord in your home. These guys are talking about the Lord. And notice how Jethro responds here. First, he rejoices. And then he declares here, as as Moses reveals to him what God's done, he he just rejoices in the Lord here. Then Jethro rejoiced, verse 9. For all the good which the Lord had done for Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who's calling on the phone, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Notice how he's blessing the Lord. Do you get that? He's blessing the Lord again in the home. Let me just ask the question, do you honor the Lord in your home? Do you talk about Jesus in your home? Do you share God with your husband, with your wife, with your kids? Is Jesus the topic of your home, or or is it politics? Because if it's politics, that's a bad plan. Get off that plan. Get on this plan. Talk about the Lord in your home. This is a good thing. It increases the faith of your children. When you talk about the Lord all the time, your kids are going to grow up thinking the same thing about this great God that your parents always talk about. And they, one day, will put their faith in that great God as you have. It's really important to talk about the Lord. That's what he's doing here. He says, Now I know, verse 11, that the Lord is greater than all the gods, for in the very thing in which they behaved proudly, he was above them. God humbled each one of those gods, remember, that's each one of the plagues were against one of the main gods of Egypt. That's why during my presentation of the plagues, I put the pictures of the gods up on the screen. You remember that? that because each one of the plagues was against one of the gods. The gods of Egypt ruled. Pharaoh was a god himself, and God said, I'll show you who God is if you really want to know. Pharaoh said, I want to know. I don't know who he is. God showed him really who he was. So now Jethro. He's heard all of the details. Moses has explained everything and how God has miraculously delivered the the children of Israel here. And then in verse 9, I I love that. He rejoiced for all the good which the Lord had done for Israel. Now, this is an interesting thing. Who is this guy, Jethro? He's a Gentile. He's not not a child of Abraham. He's not a, a a child of Israel. He's a Gentile. He's a Midianite. In fact, Midianites became a big problem for the Israelites. But here, the priest of the Midianites is a faithful man. He knows God, and he's, he is faithful. He, he rejoices in the God of Israel here. And again, I just want to remind you of something here. You probably know this already. As you read the story, you might re- remember these things. God had made a covenant With Abraham, way back in Genesis, again, that was a couple of years ago when we were in Genesis. That's what's fun about studying the Bible verse by verse and coming each week. And I'm glad you're here and you're engaged. I love this group. But in Genesis 12, here's what we read way back then. I will make you a great nation. This is God's covenant with Abraham. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. Their name's great right now. All the nations are talking. Jethro heard about how great this nation was. And God tells Abraham in Genesis 12, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. Boy, that just happened, didn't it? And then notice this. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And now here's Jethro. He's a Gentile, and what is he doing? Isn't that great? Don't you just love the Bible? Love how it all ties together. I hope that you get that or see that. Jethro's rejoicing. In the God of Israel, he's a Gentile. He's a Midianite. Again, it's it's a great example here of how God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Now, notice in verse 12 what Jethro does here. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, we've told that over and over, he took a burnt offering and other sacrifices to offer to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel and ate bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So the, the idea here is a, it's a peace offering. The burnt offering we'll discover if, as you move into Leviticus. And by the way, I've chosen on Sunday nights to go through Leviticus with the brothers. So Sunday nights what we do is, is I team teach with uh, Devon and Pastor Chris and Daniel Barrios, our elder. And uh, we're going to start Leviticus in about f- four weeks, I think it is. We're finishing Proverbs this Sunday night third chapter 30, I'll be doing that, and then the women's, I always get the women's chapter, I'll be doing Proverbs 31, the following, uh, two weeks after, or the week after Easter, and then we're going to go into Leviticus, so if you want to study Leviticus, we're going to start that uh, in April, Um, uh, we're going to go through the book of Leviticus, and in Leviticus, you get all the laws, and it's a beautiful book, it's a fascinating book, I'd encourage you to come out and study that book as well, but here we have Jethro, Again, the father-in-law of Moses, he, he takes the burnt offering. This is a peace offering. The family comes in. Aaron's part of this. The family comes in, and he's doing this peace thing. Why? Because he's a Gentile. He's not a, children, a child of Israel. He's different. So he's kind of making this peace covenant with him by doing this burnt offering between the Midianites and the Israelites here because he's the priest of the Midianites. He's offering a, a peace treaty. And no doubt he believes in the Lord. He has faith in God here. Now in verse thirteen through sixteen we see Jethro identifies the problem of Moses. Here's here's we get into this problem. Moses got an issue here. Verse 13, and so it was the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. Remember the long line I described. And the people stood before Moses from morning until evening. So when Moses' father in law saw all that he did for the people, he said what are you, out of your mind? What are you doing for the people? Why do you do, sit alone and all the people stand for hours in front of you from morning till evening? Do you get it? So Moses, again, he's, he's sitting down. He can't stand. He's 80. He can't stand that long. He's sitting down, and the people are coming. They're standing before him. It, it, there's kind of an Israeli uh, adjudication process, sitting. The judge sits, and the, the accused stand. Uh, Before, that's kind of what we're seeing here, the judge and the litigant there. The people are coming to Moses because they know he talks to God. I mean, they've made an assessment, a a right one. There's no one else in their nation that has this relationship with God, so they're doing the right thing and and going to him. But he has this huge responsibility of adjudicating each and every person all by himself. It's a big problem. It's a massive burden for one man to uh, carry. So Jethro says, "What you out of your mind, what are you doing this for? You're sitting alone there. And Moses replies, verse 15, he said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. This is why they come. You know, he's real meek. He goes, and they come because they have difficulties. So they come to me and I judge between one another. And I make known the statutes of God and his laws to them. So, the legitimate question, Jethro throws in a little bit of, are you mad? What's going on? You know, And and Moses says, well, I, 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 I'm the one that they come to. I pray and I intercede for them and I help them out and I answer their questions. And, and, yeah, the line's really long today. Very interesting. He's got a burden. He's got a problem, and Jethro sees it there. I think that Moses is so busy he doesn't even see it. He doesn't see it, how how difficult this problem is. Moses is working so hard, trying to just keep his head above water here. He doesn't recognize what's happening. Here's the application for that. Because this is where burnout happens. I've shared with some other pastors, and I've heard messages as well on this same topic for ministers, uh, ministers or volunteers, those that teach Sunday school, you know, week after week and year after year, or lead worship. And I've led worship bands through the many years here in ministry. And the worship commitment is huge because these guys are working at home. Then they come here, at they show up here at 5.30 tonight, and they don't leave until most of you are gone because they got to put their instruments away. It's a big commitment, and some of them do it three times three times a week. So they're spending many, many hours doing this. And burnout, worship team, you're listening, burnout happens to people in ministry. It happens to pastors. It happens to to all the servants of God. And in the evangelical church, it's a problem. It's a problem in in the church today because people get burnt out. Moses here was running himself ragged, and he doesn't even know it. So we can learn some things from his mistakes. So that we don't burn out. In whatever ministry you're involved in, you need to understand this. Moses, number one, he falsely assumed here that he's the only one that can help the people. Now he, yes, God is talking to him, but but who is his spokesman? Aaron. God's already diversified some of his responsibility. Who held his arms up? See, God's already shown him that there's other people. Who fought the battle? of the Amalekites, Joshua. So there's other people that can help, but Moses is kind of like centered. He's got one thing on his mind. I'm the one, you know, kind of the one that, that has to help. And and he's doing it from morning to evening. He's not eating lunch. He's not eating dinner. He's burning out. He's he's carrying the whole burden by himself. So real leaders understand this. I learned this years and years ago. I, I think I fall into this every once in a while, but Real leaders understand that there are limits, and they understand that they're not the only one doing this. There's other people that can help do this, and so real leaders understand that. I, I thank God for the elders in this church, Augie and Devon and others, uh, uh, Rob and Bill and the guys that are that are, uh, serving, uh, Rick Manley's here tonight. There are different elders that we have because they lift my arms up, and they carry the load, not just for me, but for us as a fellowship by praying, by giving counsel, by visiting people in the hospital. They do these different things, and I'm very, very glad to have these men with us. Number two, uh, uh, Moses, he wrongly assumed or reasoned that his job was to do this one thing, that no one else could do it. Again, he was dealing with people one at a time one at a time and there were a lot of needs and so he wasn't really meeting the needs of the people by kind of uh uh clogging the flow you uh, you could say he was stopping the flow of ministry by just being that one person again these are things that we can learn from this story and moses who was about to be burnt out our church i think is very diverse we have a lot of different people we have a lot of different ministries Um, There are people here that have gone through tragedies and cancer uh, issues and different things that can minister in a way I can't. That can minister in a way one of our elders can't. And I love to hear the stories of you guys when you minister to one another. I I won't mention names because I know I'll embarrass you, but people that go out and and, uh, serve those that are sick, there's a woman in this room tonight that loves to do that. She just goes over and helps people that are sick. There are others that that love to pray. They invest their time in that. They're, we have these diverse of gifts of the Spirit happening through many different people. We need to remember that, that that's what the body of Christ is. Well, Yes, I'm the spokesman, I'm the pastor, but I don't do all those things. And, and you'll come to me and you're going to ask me one day to do this and I'm going to tell you no or I'm not going to be there. And you're going to be like, that pastor. And I'm going to have to assign somebody else because I just can't do it. I've learned this. I, I'm not going to burn out like Moses is about to be burned out. And I'm, again, thankful for the many volunteers that this church always has at all its events. I, I couldn't be more proud of this fellowship where the people in this church work hard. Uh, Moses lost sight of, of his unique gift. His, his gift really wasn't to be a judge. His gift was to lead this nation. So he kind of lost sight of his main uh, uh, calling there. Dealing with people one-on-one, it was an entirely different ministry than the one that God called him to lead. And he was slowly burning out here. So Christian leadership. Christian leadership is a balance between servanthood and stewardship. Being a servant of God, but time management. If you find yourself on the verge of burnout, it's just a matter of managing that time. You, there's sometimes you need to step back and say no so that you don't end up being burnt out. But then I'll tell you, Pastor John needs he needs Sunday school teachers right now. He's asking me every day to mention that. So I did I did John, I mentioned it again. So that some of the teachers don't get burnt out. We need peep fresh people going in there. So here's that's my call. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Let him be your convictor tonight about that. But we we need to we need tr- church workers, we need Sunday school staff, we need also a balance of all those things in our lives so that we don't burn out. So here in these verses now, we're going to learn this system that now comes into play in the Jewish nation. It's the Jewish judicial system, and it's going to be a a diverse delegation of authority. Notice what happens here in verse 17 as Jethro counsels Moses. So Moses' father-in-law said to him, the thing that you do is not good. Both you and the people are with you, will surely wear yourselves out. For this thing is too much for you, and you're not able to perform it by yourself. Listen. Now, to my voice, he says, I will give you counsel, and God will be with you. Stand before God for the people, so that you may bring the difficulties to God. So first, he's going to do these things. I'm going to highlight them real quick. I'll go as fast as I can here. Pray for the people. That's the first one. I want you to pray for the people. So uh, if you're going to give counsel from God, you need to take time to pray. Stand before God, the end of verse 19, for the people. Prayer is vital for any leader, for any worker in God's kingdom. Praying for God's uh, people, and it's essential for people that are in leadership, in any area of leadership in the church. We have to start with prayer. I found a quote that I want to share with you. It's from Corey Ten Boom. If you don't know who she is, you're way younger than me, but but, uh, you can read about her. This is what she says. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Interesting question, isn't it? Prayer is something that we need to do. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, he said, pray without ceasing. We all need prayer. We have a week of prayer coming up, the first week of May. And I want you all to to participate in that. We need to be a church of prayer, a people of prayer. Uh, If you need power, if you need help, if you need direction, it only comes one way, and that's through prayer. So remember that, prayer and prayer for people. Secondly, Jethro counsels his son-in-law to teach God's law or statutes. He says, verse 20, And you shall teach them the statutes and the laws. So if Moses is going to be effective, in his ministry, he's got to be teaching God's law. That's my responsibility in the church. I teach the word of God. That's my responsibility to do that. That's the application here. At the leader, his number one responsibility isn't to stand in line and, and meet with everybody and shake everybody's hand and tell them what to do or pray for their specific need. That's why we diversify and have the ushers up here at the end of services, the prayer room's open. Different people can pray for you. My responsibility, number one, is to, is to teach the word of God. That's what Jethro is telling Moses here. That's the application there. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he said, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. That's the ministry of a, of a pastor is to teach the word of God. Thirdly, Jethro tells Moses to model godliness for others. Notice what he says at the end of verse 20. And show them the way in which they must walk and the work they must do. The leader in God's church. By the way, I I don't think I said this, but everybody's a leader. You're all a leader somewhere, right? It might be at home as a parent. It might be at work over some employees. It might be in church over a ministry. Everybody's a leader. Everybody can learn something from this. And this third point here, being a model. If you're a leader in God's church, you better be a model of holiness. You better be walking with the Lord. Otherwise, you'll be taken out. You'll fall. We've seen church leaders do that, right? And it, is, it destroys fellowships. It's hurtful in the body of Christ when a, when a leader is not walking with the Lord and praying and, and, and obeying. And, and a model to others. I believe the elders that we have in this church, they're models. I, I love them. Each one of them, they're, it's like a band of brothers, you know. I can go to them. I can call them for advice. I send my sermons to a couple of them for a critique on, on Saturdays. What do you think about this? How should I say that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for input. And I really enjoy getting it from these men that I believe God's called to lead our church. And fourthly, fourthly, here's the advice Jethro gives to to, uh, Moses. Select men who fear God. That's the fourth one. Look at verse 21. Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating, covetousness, and the place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. Now, again, Moses is called to select these men, and there's categories. So some men can handle larger responsibilities. Some men have smaller responsibility. Here's the key in the church throughout the Bible. Old and New Testament, God puts leadership responsibility on men, not on women. It doesn't mean women can't serve, that women can't lead. Esther leads the women's ministry. Women lead in different ministries, but God has put men in leadership. I don't understand Pastor Sarah whoever. I never could understand that. I don't know what part of the New Testament they're reading to think that they as a woman, I know it's trendy. I know it's politically incorrect for me to say that. I don't care because I'm a man of the word and God has placed men in leadership in the home and in the church. When a man doesn't lead in the home, it's disastrous, would you not agree? When men don't lead in the church, it becomes just a liberal social club. So we need to be leaders, men. God calls leaders. Jethro tells Moses, you need to select men and put them over all these groups. Able men, willing men uh, that fear the Lord. They obey the word. Men of truth, he says. Those that hate covetousness. or, Or really what that means is guys that have shown respect for other people's property. They don't you know, drive across somebody's lawn. They don't, you know, let their dog do his job in somebody's yard. They don't, I mean, seriously, I, I could get way more serious, but, but you understand what I'm saying. When you respect someone else's things, here's, here's a good thing. How about your shopping cart when you go into the slanted parking lot and you leave it there and you pull out and where does your shopping cart go? And you drive really quick because there it goes. It's going towards that car. You turn your car and buzz out of the parking lot. Or do you take that shopping cart and put it back in the stall so it won't hurt someone else's property? Oh, Pastor Lee, it's so hard. I'm tired. I want to go home, and I just want to leave it right. Th- I'll put it up on the grass. Do you see what I mean? When you respect someone else's property, this is really important. And, and these men had the hated covetousness. They respected other people's property. Verse 22, and let them judge the people at all times. Let these guys do it, the, the groups of hundreds and tens and fifties and all. Then it will be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they themselves will, will judge. So it will be easier for you. Remember, this is the advice from Jethro, the Midianite. If you, verse 23, do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all the people will also go to their place in peace. In other words, you'll have relief. The people, the line won't be so long. You know, everybody will get what they need. Everyone will be effectively served. That's what he's saying there. Paul gave Pastor Titus similar instructions. We use the same criteria to pick the men that are elders in this church, Titus 1, Verse 7, here it is. For a bishop, an overseer, must be blameless, a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled. These are the men that serve you in this fellowship. This is one of the areas of criteria. We also use First Timothy as well. Moses here, verse 24 He follows Jethro's wise counsel. And so Moses heeded the voice of his father-in-law. And he did all that Jethro had said. And Moses chose able men out of all Israel. And he made them heads over people. Rulers of thousands. Rulers of hundreds. Rulers of fifties. Rulers of tens. So they judged the people at all times. The hard cases, though, they they brought to Moses. But they judged the small cases themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart. And he went back to his homeland. So here we have the story here. It's kind of a parenthesis, as I've said. They're already at the foot of Mount Sinai. They're going to get instruction from God. But there's this wonderful story about Moses, about this Gentile man, Jethro, who comes in and gives him counsel about how to diversify and organize the people, this judicial system that was needed. I mean, two million people without law, yeah, chaos. And so God provides this way through this man, Jethro, to Moses. And and it makes his life peaceful. And it makes all the people, they they can come during the week one hour and get it over with. You know, they don't have to wait, wait, wait in line for two months. Now here's how I want to end this. Uh, study and application tonight. Here's my point, Jethro's advice in the contemporary Christian. How can we take Jethro's advice and apply it to our lives today? Really two important lessons we can learn from the story. I've already alluded to them, but number one, there are many overworked Christians. Some of them need to learn from this story. They need to balance their servanthood and their stewardship. Maybe you're in that category tonight. That you, it's, If you're single, see, you can do a lot more than someone that's married. Even though you have a job, if you're single, you can do much more than someone that is married. Paul made that very clear in the New Testament. Because you don't have an obligation to another person. You can You can full-on serve the Lord if you're single. And if you're single tonight, do it. Go for it. Don't let anything hold you back. Serve the Lord with gladness. To, but... But there are overworked Christians. Don't forget to delegate. If you're a lead in some area, let someone bring someone along. I'm always trying to do that with staff and with leaders in, in ministry. And I'm always saying, listen, you've got to train up somebody. The, the church of God is all about duplication. Did you, did you hear what I said? It's all about duplication. You need to duplicate yourself as a leader so the church can prosper and grow. I can't remain the worship leader forever. I'm so glad we have other worship leaders and new musicians, aren't you? Otherwise, you hear my old scratchy voice. I'm I'm thankful for that. If you can come alongside and be a her and hold someone's arms up, it could be a sound ministry. It could be a greeting or hospitality ministry. It could be ushering. It could be security anything. Blowing the lot off Sunday morning, big deal. There's guys that come out at 6 a.m. and do that. It blesses my heart to drive in, and I see them back there, and they're making the parking lot so nice and clean for you guys. It's awesome. They're using their gift to benefit you, and the more that help, the less the load. We're serving one another with love and care, but the overworked Christians, some of them need to delegate a lot more. Balance work with time. And then those four things that I brought forth earlier, pray for people, teach God's word, model godliness and delegate or select others. Those are important points that you need to do that. Pray, teach, model, and select others. And then the second word, Jethro's advice for contemporary Christian. Here's the second advice. There are people in the church that will never suffer burnout because they haven't been lit. They don't do anything. They just come and they're, I don't want to say that. They just come and they hang out. You can put whatever word or description you want. There are those that don't do anything. Some of them do it ignorantly. They they just kind of wander around aimlessly. They don't know. Some of them, they maybe served the Lord somewhere and got stung and they don't want to do it again because they got hurt. And I say, you know what? You, you have to forgive and move on and step up and start serving the Lord. Knock it off, you know, serve God. Because that's when your life becomes, remember the abundant Christian life? Where is it? What's it about? It's when you give yourself to others and you start serving other people. Your life has a new dynamic and a new purpose. Remember Jesus didn't come into this world to be served, but came to do what? To serve. to serve. He's our example. He's the model. So we can learn some great truths from this example and this story tonight. I hope that you've learned as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I just pray, Lord, that your message would get through to your people, that the Holy Spirit as you do your work, Holy Spirit, in the heart to convict sin, righteousness, and judgment of the sinner, as you do that work to motivate us, Lord, to serve and, and, and illuminate in our own hearts and minds what gift we have and what we should be doing, I, I pray that there would be a change of heart with some of your people. Those that don't serve, that they would serve. Those that serve too much would delegate. And I, I, once again, want to just thank you and praise you for the elders and the many, many workers, ushers, and sound, and worship, and bookstore, and coffee shop, and, and Sunday school teachers, and helpers, and nursery workers, and security. Lord, the prayer ministries that are vital, and the women and men that pray, and, and then the opportunity this Easter to just jump in and be a blessing. Lord. Lord. May you be pleased by the heart of each and every servant that are here listening to your word tonight. May they please you in, in their response, Lord, to your word. And Lord, thank you for this fellowship. What a joy it is to pastor. The joy it just flows through the hearts of these people. They serve so faithfully. And diligently thank you, Lord, for each and every one. Lord, bless them, keep them, and guide us, we pray, in Jesus. Amen.